Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, thank you for joining us here on AOA, Agriculture of America today. Hope you are doing well. Appreciate you making us part of your conversation about what's going on in farming and ranching across rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Find your nearest location online, Cenex.com. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk markets in just a moment with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. In segment two, we're going to get an update on that uh, decision on RINs, on the uh, SREs, the waivers that happened in the ethanol uh, industry here on Friday. There's some other news surrounding the ethanol industry, those small refinery exemptions, those SREs, what I'm talking about. Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association going to join us to talk about that in segment two today. In segment three, we're going to discuss the OPEC Plus meeting and take a look at the energy markets as a whole here. Petroleum analyst Dara Domi will join us, and then we'll take a look at news headlines in segment four, including the appropriations process on Capitol Hill stalling out here after Thanksgiving. We'll hear comments on that and more coming up later in the show today. All right, well, first up, let's take a look at what's going on in the market trade. Joining us now, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, great to have you back on the show. And as I take a look at this market uh, trade action Thursday morning, I see some more soybean export sales reported on the wire, and uh, we see kind of a mixed bag in the grain and oilseed trade here on Thursday, Jim. You nailed it. We've got the corn and the wheat market pretty much trading higher in the day. Beans are a little bit lower, and then, like you just mentioned, bean export sales were very good this week, 1.8, better than anticipated. We had a sales announcement, Jesse. We should see some more bean exports down the line announcements, I should say. There's talk that we're hearing from our commercial contacts that we might have sold five to six cargoes of beans out of the Gulf earlier this week and another five to six out of the P&W. The P&W purchases are probably done by the Chinese government for the reserve, so we should have some more announcements, which should hopefully provide some bean support or provide some support to the market. But right now we're seeing a little bit of unwinding of the corn bean spread. That's why corn's up and beans are down as we speak. Well, I think uh, some farmers may be looking at that corn bean spread a little bit and uh, happy to see at least a little bit of green on the screen in corn here on Thursday as we look to round out the end of the month. I know we got first notice day here and uh, I believe didn't see any deliveries on Dee's corn, um, but I know that's something we're watching here and just trying to find some semblance of movement uh, to the upside in this corn market. It's been pretty tough, though, hasn't it, Jim? It's definitely been tough sledding. We made new lows for the move here just earlier in the week. But technically speaking, we are oversold, Jesse. If you draw a channel off kind of the lows we've made all summer long, we went down and tested that the last couple days yesterday and the day before, and we held it. So we're hopefully a little bit optimistic that that is maybe at least going to put somewhat of a temporary bottom in the market um, Farmers have pretty much stopped selling grain. We are hearing the basis improve in certain portions of the country as the elevator system is trying to pull grain into the system. And the farmers are like, hey, I just finished putting it in the bin. I don't want to jump back out and do it again. 
So that combined with a really big short position by the funds hopefully will lead to a little bit of that short covering rally. You know, there's an old saying, you know, the bears have Thanksgivings, the bulls will have Christmas, as essentially the big short position gets unwound at the end of the year into the quarter type of trading as we move into next month, this upcoming month of December. I'm glad you brought up that point because I think historically, traditionally, seasonally, this is that time where we can get a little bit of a post-harvest rally. And I, I just wonder, you know, how much of that could we get potentially in this grain trade? To your point, a lot of farmers have put the crop in the bin, they locked the door and they don't want to touch it. They're they're waiting for some of those elevators and end users to improve that basis enough to, you know, basically they're telling them, come and get it at this point, Jim. Exactly. Now, technically speaking, Jesse, I'm looking like on this March corn, you know, your 10 days at about 483, your 20 days at 485. If you can get through that, you got a 50 day moving average around 495, which was last week's highs. I think that could be where we go to at a minimum, hopefully on a short covering rally. And if you get through 85, you know, that 95, excuse me, you're looking at roughly 505, the 100 day moving average. So I think you hit that $5 level with a decent basis, that will break corn free, especially if it's happening toward, you know, if the rally takes a little bit longer um, to materialize here toward the end of the year, because I do think there's going to be producers out there who are going to want to sell grain once the calendar flips to start collecting money to essentially pay down loans of this last crop year as they start to, you know, get prepared to, you know, their operating notes for the new crop coming, which is coming quick, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Jim, uh, looking over at the outside markets too here, I know we, we got stocks up a bit here on this Thursday. Uh, I've been watching that dollar has been breaking recently. We got, uh, we've been getting some economic news out this week. Fed's going to be meeting here in a couple of weeks and talking interest rates again. Uh, how much is some of this outside market movement uh, allowing or not allowing money flow into the grain and livestock trade? Well, right now, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag. The stock market's definitely moving. We, you're making new highs on the Dow as we speak today. You know, that's you get a lot of fear of missing out money, I think, coming into the stock market. Traditionally, December is one of the more stronger months of the year. Um, and then toward the end of the month, it really tends to accelerate. So I think that'll keep the money coming in. The dollar we need to watch. If the dollar would continue to weaken, that will definitely increase sales for not just grains but livestock. The funds, interesting position. They're carrying this huge long position in the dollar. So if the funds would start washing out, that could accelerate it. And you could potentially see, you know, maybe they sell the dollars and then get out of the short corn and wheat position they're carrying as well. So we could see some interesting market movements as we wrap up the 23 trading year. On the cattle, too, real quick, I, I haven't bought a, a ticket to this roller coaster ride we've been on the last few sessions, but we're still stuck on it, and I, I know it's got to be frustrating to watch this futures trade. We're down uh, triple digits again in live and feeder cattle early Thursday after a couple of days higher after the big volatile moves uh, Friday and Monday. This cattle market, just kind of a, a back and forth, back and forth volatile trade, isn't it, Jim? It's a back-and-forth trade with an overall trend down right now. I was hoping that we could get a little bit of follow-through. Like, if you're looking at these February cattle, you had those lows, Jesse, that were made earlier in the month. That, you know, if we could get back above that, I would argue the low maybe if finally, these, you know, kind of panic selling with a bottom. But what do we do? We get right to that level yesterday, then again this morning. Cannot take it up. Uh, excuse me, take it out. So at this point, you'd argue the move up the last day and a half, two days, was more of a dead cat bounce and not a change in trend. 
I think you do have to be optimistic. Eventually, we will turn around. You mentioned the economy. Overall, consumer spending continues to be very, very strong. The people going away for Thanksgiving, we had more people flying in one day than we ever have in, in history on Sunday. So, you know, the economy still seems to be moving along. If the economy moves along, hopefully that's a positive indicator indicator that you will see, you know, consumer, you know, come in and buy that beef for their, you know, their holiday, uh, you know, meal. Yeah, definitely. Jim, I know if folks have questions, uh, it's a good time of year to be looking at your risk management and, and thinking about things. If they want to reach out to you and the team there at agmarket.net, I know they can reach you very easily. How can they get a hold of you, Jim? Uh, anybody, any uh, any of the ag market brokers can be reached at 844-424-6758. Otherwise, go to agmarket.net to sign up for our research as well as sign up for our conference being held in Nashville. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. All right, coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with Renewable Fuels Association President Jeff Cooper on the way right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. 
The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over 6 billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, last Friday, the Fifth Circuit Court came down with a small refinery exemptions ruling, and they remanded to the EPA its rejection of six small refinery exemption requests. And that is one thing that we're going to talk about among a few other issues here on AOA today with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association as uh, we're back here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. And Jeff, always good to have a conversation with you. And this decision kind of came out uh, on a Friday after Thanksgiving where maybe a lot of eyeballs weren't necessarily on uh, on the news wires, but I know this decision didn't go unnoticed. Tell us a little bit more about what exactly happened here, Jeff. Yeah, it certainly didn't go unnoticed by us, and in fact caused caused me a little heartburn after my turkey dinner uh, over the long Thanksgiving weekend. But but what we're dealing with here, Jesse, is uh, a Fifth Circuit court decision, and and just so folks know, the Fifth Circuit covers Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Uh, they issued a decision last week that found in favor of six oil refiners in that region uh, who claimed that EPA wrongly denied their petitions for exemptions from the renewable fuel standard. They were looking to get out of their obligations to blend renewable fuels uh, under the RFS several years ago. And this case was finally heard and and decided uh, just last week. It it was a split decision. It was three judges, two found in favor of the refiners and and one sided with EPA. And really the one dissenting opinion said, look, this court has no business hearing this case. This is an issue of national significance. The RFS is a federal program. Small refinery exemptions are a federal issue. This should be in the D.C. Circuit, not a regional circuit court like the Fifth Circuit. Um, so, yeah, we were obviously disappointed with, with the decision. Uh, the Really, the upshot is the court is now saying, all right, EPA, you need to go back, uh, try again, reconsider these exemption petitions, and so that's kind of where this stands, but it's it's certainly not the final word on the issue. Um, there are similar lawsuits pending in other jurisdictions, and most notably in the D.C. Circuit, which, again, is where this belongs. And so, you know, there's going to be other courts speaking to, the, to these issues, uh, and ultimately it may all wind up in the Supreme Court again, or EPA, you know, may decide that the approach they took the first time was the right approach. Uh, so we'll see. We got a long way to go, I think, before we know exactly how this all shakes out. And it's interesting, Jeff, uh, as you laid that out for us here. I appreciate that. And to your point about how this should be in the D.C. Circuit Court, um, if the D.C. Circuit yeah. Court were to uh, take this on and, and you know lay out a decision, I guess I'm, I'm trying to. I'm not a lawyer. Would that overrule some of these, uh, like the Fifth Circuit Court decision that we've seen here? Well, how how does that all work? What do you know? Yeah, well, so so the D.C. Circuit has actually, um, you know, reviewed cases like this in the past, and they have found in EPA's favor and said, now EPA did the right thing by not approving or, or accepting this exemption. Um, so if 
the D.C. Circuit was to rule that way again in this currently pending case, well, now you would have a circuit split. And in those mm-hmm. cases, that's when it's more likely that the Supreme Court might say, yeah, we, we want to take a look at this since the lower courts can't seem to agree um, on, on how to move forward. So that's where this could end up. But, you know, it, it also may be that if the D.C. Circuit puts out a ruling that differs from what the Fifth Circuit said, um, you know, EPA has a fair amount of, of latitude and discretion in how they manage these uh, the, 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 the small refinery exemptions, and they may decide to say, hey, look, the D.C. Circuit Court told us to do this, so we're going to do it this way. Um, so again, I, I think this is really the beginning of a new legal skirmish on small refinery exemptions. It's certainly not the end. Um, I, I don't want to overblow the importance of this decision because I think there's a lot that needs to be sorted out still yet. Okay. All right. Another legal fight that we are watching as well before I talk about uh, something I think is a a positive win here uh, that we saw on Capitol Hill just yesterday. But I know we're watching this E15 fight and the E15 opt-out request. Uh, I know that the Iowa uh, Attorney General has uh, filed a motion on EPA's failure to comply with the law and allow for that year-round sale of E15. So that's another issue, Jeff, that we are watching right now. Kind of play out uh, in the courts and more. Yeah, that, that's right. It's been a busy week in the in the courts on our issues. But last April, so April of 2022, you had eight governors from Midwest states, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, you know, uh, Minnesota, several others. They filed a petition with EPA saying, look, we have rights as governors under the Clean Air Act uh, to allow the use of E15 in our states if we want it. And guess what? We want it. So uh, they they are required to ask EPA to approve that petition. Uh, EPA, by law, had 90 days to respond to that petition. And that would have meant by Mm -hmm. the end of July 2022, they should have had a decision back. Well, they they didn't. They waited until March of this year to propose approving the petition. Uh, And here we are 16 months after this thing should have been finalized, and we still don't have a final decision out of EPA. So Iowa and Nebraska, the attorneys general in those states, sued EPA for missing that deadline. Uh, They filed motions in in a court in Iowa yesterday, um, really asking the judge, asking that court to hold EPA's feet to the fire and force them to get this rulemaking out before summer of 2024. Well, uh, we got those fights going on, but then we turn our attention to Capitol Hill, Jeff, and we've got the House introduction of the Bipartisan Flex Fuel Fairness Act. So, you know, two uh, two things we're fighting and then something else that I would consider uh, a positive here. Talk about that uh, being introduced here uh, in the House this week, Jeff. It is a positive, and, and we really appreciate seeing that legislation introduced. It was led by uh, Congresswoman Miller Meeks out of Iowa and, and Congresswoman Angie Craig from Minnesota. They were the two main sponsors of, of that legislation. And, and what it would do is it would basically level the playing field for flex fuel vehicles under uh, the EPA tailpipe regulations. And, and right now we have a situation where those regulations basically force, they, res, they, they end up forcing automakers to build electric vehicles because those vehicles are treated by EPA as zero emissions vehicles. And so if you build a bunch of EVs, um, you are, you know, as an automaker, you are definitely in compliance with your tailpipe standards. 
Uh, this legislation would say, look, there's no such thing as a zero emissions vehicle when we take into account where the energy to power these vehicles comes from. Um, but we're going to level the playing field by giving flex fuel vehicles a, a similar way of generating credit toward compliance with those standards. Um, so if this bill became law, it would provide a very powerful incentive to the automakers to restart mass production of flex fuel vehicles like they were doing six, seven years ago. We're talking with RFA President and CEO Jeff Cooper here today on AOA. Jeff, one other thing I want to ask you about as well. Uh, we talked about this on yesterday's show, COP28 happening right now overseas in Dubai. And I know a lot of people are there for that UN Climate Change Conference. And, uh, of course, uh, talking about U.S. biofuels being part of that overall uh, climate change discussion and more. It just your thoughts on, on some of what we're already hearing out of that conference uh, overseas here right now? Yeah, so we actually sent a, a letter to uh, Secretary Kerry, who is the, the special envoy uh, for climate, and he's really leading the U.S. delegation at COP28. And, and really, we were asking him, um, encouraging him to really highlight the success of renewable fuels in the United States as a way of combating climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It, it's baffling to us that, that when all the countries around the world come together for these conferences, there, there are 30 other countries that have explicitly made biofuels like ethanol a central part of their strategy for reducing emissions. And, they, and they're proud to talk about it when they get together on the world stage. Um, unfortunately, our, our delegates uh, to that conference sometimes uh, appear like they're afraid to talk about the success story that we've seen with the renewable fuel standard and, and ethanol here in the U.S. So we are encouraging all of our nation's leaders who are in Dubai for this climate change conference um, to, to proudly talk about the success story that we've seen here in the U.S. with the growth and, and use of biofuels like ethanol and the ability of those renewable fuels to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. No shortage of things to talk about, uh, is there, Jeff? You think you're getting towards the end of the year and the holiday season yet? And, uh, look at all the things that we, we covered here in a short 10 minutes, right, Jeff? Yeah, oh, man. And, and we could keep going, Jesse. This is, this is uh, it's been a very busy few days after the Thanksgiving holiday, and we expect that to continue through the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will stay in touch with you, of course, as issues arise and we continue to follow the news. Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Jeff Cooper joining us here on Agriculture of America today. Jeff, always a pleasure. Have a great rest of your week and weekend, and we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. All right. Jeff Cooper there with the RFA. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the energy markets. Got an OPEC Plus meeting going on right now. Darren Domi, petroleum analyst, will join us here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, back with more right after the break. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870 
you'll receive a tax deduction and will arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Grains are mixed today. The wheat complex is mixed with Chicago up on the day. Soybeans and bean meal are lower on the day, while oil is up modestly. Corn is the leader to the upside today, gaining a modest boost from a surge in export demand. And in fact, export sales have picked up the pace of all commodities in the week ending on November 23rd, with China being a featured buyer of U.S. corn, soybeans, and wheat, as well as grain sorghum. Reported export sales during the week included 75.9 million bushels of corn, 69.6 million bushels of soybeans, 22.9 million bushels of old crop wheat, and 7.3 million bushels of grain sorghum. Yet early market reaction has been very subdued so far, with this morning's sales apparently not convincing traders that we have seen any meaningful long-term switch in that demand outlook. Brazilian soybeans continue to make up nearly half of the shipments heading to China, while Brazilian and Ukrainian shipments of corn to China are expected to remain strong as well. Ukraine shipped 2.4 million metric tons of corn in November. That was primarily to China, with another 2.2 million already contracted for December shipment. That keeps the focus on South American weather for now. Stress is rebuilding in half of Brazil's soybean belt this week due to hot and dry conditions. Focus primarily over the center-west region, while southern areas continue to remain quite wet. Forecasters do see some more wetter risks for center-west Brazil late in the five-day period, with 6-15 to day rain still expected to ease dryness concerns. Longer-term deficits, though, will continue, although the opportunities for periodic moisture relief will continue into December, perhaps even increase a bit. And crude oil prices are over 1% higher on reports that OPEC is expected to agree to additional production cuts of at least 1 million barrels per day in 2024, led by Saudi Arabia rolling over its voluntary additional cuts. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here today on AOA Agriculture of America. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, 
you get a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Find your nearest location right around the corner or visit them online at Cenex.com for more information. Well, we're watching the energy markets. We got a big OPEC Plus meeting on going, wondering what that could do to this crude oil market. How are gasoline prices, diesel prices faring, and more? And we want to dive in and talk more about that here on the show today and have a conversation with Darren Domi. He is a petroleum analyst. He has the fuelhedge.com. And Darren, great to uh, have you on the show with us. Happy to uh, have a conversation with you today. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Jesse, I'm glad you called. I'm excited to be with you here today. Well, thanks for joining me, and uh, glad we could get this lined up. It's the first time we've had a chance to talk, and uh, I'm happy to dive into uh, things here with you today. And let's start with that big OPEC Plus meeting ongoing, wondering uh, whether or not they'll uh, keep their production cuts in place and more. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing out of that OPEC Plus meeting right now, Darren? Well, Jesse, it sounds like uh, OPEC's already come to some sort of a preliminary agreement to cut production an additional 1 million barrels a day. Now, Jesse, this is on top of the 1.3 million barrels that they cut last May. Now, last May when they made this cut, crude oil was down around $60 a barrel. After they made the production cut, crude oil rallied throughout the summer up to $95 a barrel. That was equivalent to about 97 cents in the gasoline futures and about $1.43 in the diesel fuel futures market. Now, OPEC's come back in. They're making another 1 million barrel a day cut on top. So now there are a little over 2 million barrels a day. So this probably will put a floor in around that $80 per barrel area. And right now we're at uh, $79 a barrel, up $1.15. Mm-hmm. So I wonder then, with that decision, another 1 million barrel cut, I mean, that that's a, a huge, huge move there. You mentioned putting that floor in around $80 in crude. I mean, what could that do to diesel fuel here, especially as we get into the winter months? It's uh, you know a fairly quiet time for producers for the most part, but then you think about next spring and beyond. I mean, what could this do to the diesel fuel market, Darren? Yeah, you know, this production cut, um, if, uh, obviously it's got to be confirmed this afternoon uh, or, or in tonight's meeting, but they're in Vienna, Austria. They're seven hours ahead of us. But, you know, they're not going to enter a meeting uh, without knowing they've got, got the votes behind them. So it's probably a done deal. But anyway, diesel fuel is up about three and a half cents at the moment. And it's trading at about two cents higher across the board all the way out into the next summer and fall futures months. Now, if we hover around $80 going through the winter months, I don't think diesel fuel has a reason right now to really take off and rally. But by the time we start getting into that first quarter, the supply and demand situation should start to really tighten back up. Uh, what's been helping the diesel fuel market out recently is the weak cash markets. Just to give you an idea, the Chicago Midwest cash markets are trading 40 cents under the futures market. The Group 3, which is the Western Corn Belt, is trading 36 cents under the futures, and the Gulf Coast is even very weak trading about 21 cents under the futures market. So once we start to tighten back up these cash markets, then I think you'll start to see the futures market also rally into that first quarter. 
of 2024. Darren, how about the gasoline side as well? I, I What do we typically see here towards the end of the year? Holidays, of course. A lot of people typically traveling, driving places. I, I wonder what we typically see in this gasoline market and also what this OPEC decision could maybe do on, on the gas side, if anything. Talk about that for us a little bit. Well, obviously, gasoline's more of a consumer-type product where the diesel fuel is commercial and reflects more of the economic-type demand, supply and demand issues. However, the gasoline is very seasonal, and the futures market has a very strong seasonal tendency to put a low in in this uh, post-Thanksgiving to the first two weeks of December. To give you an example, for the last 22 years, the seasonal low on gasoline futures has come in around December 4th. Now, we may already made that last week at 209 a gallon against the, the December futures. And then what would probably happen, obviously, if OPEC confirms the cut later today, combined with the seasonality of gasoline going into spring, you could probably see gasoline rally as much as a dollar a gallon in the futures market. And just to give you an idea, for the last 20 years, from the seasonal fourth quarter low to that first quarter, second quarter seasonal high, gasoline has rallied an average of 80%. So, you know, off 209, uh, 80% times 209 could take us up $1.67, and that could put the futures market up around 376. Now, that would put retail gasoline prices at about Four fifty a gallon next summer. Well, that's definitely a number I don't think some folks uh, would want to see necessarily, but the, that potential is there, as you indicated. We're talking with Derek Domi. He has the FuelHedge.com. He is an energy petroleum analyst and. Darren, uh, just in general here, when it comes to diesel and, and gasoline, and we think about uh, a lot of our farmers and ranchers, uh, I know a lot of times they like to lock in energy needs and uh, fill those uh, bulk fill tanks on the farm, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, is there anything they need to think about and keep in mind, I guess, uh, here during the next uh, month or so before the end of the year or into next year, anything they need to kind of keep thinking about or look at doing here potentially? Well, look, hey, the, the stock market has just been straight up since uh, the 1st of November. It sounds like, and so is the bond market, and it sounds like uh, they're done raising interest rates. So that should help uh, the economy into 2024. And obviously that's something that the current administration wants going into an election year. So I think there's little downside risk in the diesel fuel market maybe another 10, 15 cents. Uh, and, I, and I certainly feel your basis, the cash markets are about as weak as they are going to get. They could get another 10, 15 lower. But I would go ahead and fill those tanks. Um, and, and if you need more fuel, I would consider calling your, your diesel fuel supplier and doing a fixed price contract, uh, at least for the next six months or maybe the calendar year of 2024. The market's still greatly inverted, meaning the nearby price is substantially higher than the summer months and, and the fall months. So if you do a fixed price contract with a supplier, it's an average of the 12 months, and that will come in substantially lower than the spot price on the diesel fuel market. So that's something to consider. 
Darren, I, I should ask as well, too, uh, natural gas. Uh, any thoughts just if you have been watching the natural gas market at all here as we near the end of the year? Obviously, we're getting into the winter months and, you know, at home heating oil and, you know, nat gas and things like that. So watching some of those uh, markets here in the energy side, any, any thoughts there for us here? Oh, my gosh. The natural gas market. Nobody needs it anymore. All of a sudden, the crisis is over in Europe. Natural gas has just broken out to the downside since the 1st of November, dropping from $3.50 down to $2.78 today uh, and still making another new low. This market uh, will probably want to test that $2.50 area on the futures market. Um, but once I make this low, there's a lot of technical indicators and, and even other analysis that suggest this could be a major low coming in the natural gas. If you're an industrial user, a grain elevator, um, you know, you may want to get it, come in here and start buying some natural gas um, with some call options uh, or doing some fixed price contracting and then maybe buy a put option against it for the calendar year of 2024 and maybe even go into 2025. Well, Darren, great thoughts, and we really do appreciate the time. Before we let you go here, got about a minute. Anything else you would uh, care to mention on the energy market side or anything you would want to reiterate to folks who are listening in here today, Darren? Well, um, you know, if they're putting a the bottom in this crude oil market, it's certainly going to make fuel a little bit more expensive to put out a corn crop next year. The more expensive uh, petroleum is, usually the more expensive your fertilizers are. However, we've had the saving grace of a cheap natural gas market to help really bring down the cost of anhydrous, some of the other fertilizers. But if the war escalates past Israel, um, you know, there's a lot of fertilizer made over in those other countries, as well as Russia. We're still dealing with the war in the Ukraine. The way fertilizer has come down and the way the petroleum markets have come down into this this fall winter time period, I think it's also a good opportunity to be looking at buying fertilizer. That is a great, great point, and we uh, appreciate the thoughts and the insight. Really uh, enjoyed the conversation. I know folks can uh, connect with you and find more info, thefuelhedge.com. And uh, with that, Darren Domi, appreciate you joining us here on Agriculture of America today. Darren, have a great uh, week and weekend, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. See you later. And again, you can find more info at thefuelhedge.com with Darren Domi. Good stuff there talking about the energy markets. All right, coming up next, we'll take a look at news headlines before we wrap it up here today on AOA, including how uh, the... The appropriations fight on Capitol Hill still ongoing. We're going to talk about that story and more. Coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll be back with more on the way right after this. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people. 
a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. 
Call for Closure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here on the program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Let's take a look at some news headlines before we wrap it up here today. Of course, we continue to watch what is going on on Capitol Hill with appropriations and the farm bill and much, much more. We got a farm bill extension, of course. We've been talking about that, but still got to get a new five-year farm bill done. We got to get the appropriations process settled up as well here. And uh, we got those new deadlines to keep the government open in January and February. Well, the Thanksgiving turkey might be gone, but the political hurdles and the stalling spending bills and this new farm bill, they remain on Capitol Hill. The House and Senate reconvened this week, but saw little new work on agency spending bills like the earlier failed USDA bill with just 10 legislative days before Christmas and new shutdown threats again next year. West Virginia Senator and GOP Conference Vice Chair Shelley Moore Capito told reporters that Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was bringing up no appropriations this week. And he's squandering good time, resources, and uh, I think the ability for us to really get our work done and set us on a path of uh, frugal responsibility to where we can then become conference and conference with the House. But Senate Appropriations Chair Patty Murray says the problem is with the House and its GOP leaders who want bigger spending cuts than agreed to earlier. House Republicans just need to remember the top lines they passed into law under the Fiscal Responsibility Act, a bill that Speaker Johnson actually voted for, along with many other Republicans. But Speaker Mike Johnson's not budging. He argues the nation's debt and borrowing costs are unsustainable. Part of the negotiations on the remaining appropriations bills and everything that's on our plate is, is viewed by us through that lens, that we have to restore this idea of fiscal sanity. A fight that will linger into next year with two new shutdown deadlines and again hamper movement on a new farm bill that the ag committees won't bring up without a clear path to passage. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley complains of a looming appropriation mess the majority leader could avoid. He's hoping to have by January 19th, when you're going to shut down the government, one great big package that he's going to negotiate and put a lot of things on the Christmas tree that he wants to get passed. They can't get uh, debated separately. And that's just the way he wants to run the appropriation process. And you've heard me say many times that's wrong. As House Republicans also insist on passing separate spending bills and Speaker Johnson refuses to do another temporary stopgap bill to keep the government open. Well, also, we see that Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on Wednesday announced the notice of funding opportunity for the first tranche of funding under the USDA's new Regional Agricultural Promotion Program, the RAP 
program. USDA is providing up to $300 million in funding in its first year to support eligible projects that enable exporters to break into new markets and increase market share in growth markets. Secretary Vilsack announced the funding at the President's Export Council after announcing the establishment of the program in October. Now, the effort is a $1.2 billion program made possible through the Commodity Credit Corporation, which will be made available over five years. Filsack says, quote, it takes significant investment to open and develop new export markets, and this new fund will be dedicated to helping provide that startup capital, end quote. Now, the funds are available to nonprofit U.S. agricultural trade organizations, nonprofit state regional trade groups, agricultural cooperatives, and state agencies that conduct approved market development activities. Applications are due in February. More information can be found online at grants.gov. Well, a group of Republican lawmakers welcomed USDA's extension for the time-limited trial for new swine inspection system. However, they cautioned that the short 30-day extension would do little to provide needed certainty for pork producers who contract with processing facilities many months in advance. The announcement comes weeks after Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and Minnesota Representative Brad Finstad led a bicameral letter requesting USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack issue the extension to ensure participating processing plants can continue operating at increased line speeds. This is the second time USDA has extended the trial at Grassley and Finstad's urging. Grassley says, quote, while I'm pleased that USDA has taken a step in the right direction by extending the program, the agency risks creating a harmful bottleneck in the pork supply chain if it fails to extend the program beyond just three months, end quote. And Finstad added, quote, I will continue to urge USDA to provide certainty to our pork processors and producers by permanently allowing them to continue functioning at full operational capacity, end quote. Well, the Department of Agriculture has waived certain notice of loss requirements in 2023 for the emergency assistance for livestock, honeybees and farm raised fish and the livestock indemnity program. In an effort to streamline assistance to support access to critical 2023 natural disaster recovery assistance, USDA's Farm Service Agency is waiving the requirement to submit emergency assistance for livestock or livestock indemnity program notices of loss with a pre within a predetermined number of days for 2023. Now, instead, producers have the flexibility to submit 2023 notices of loss as soon as possible once losses are realized following a natural disaster event or no later than the established annual program application for payment deadlines for each program. Now, FSA Administrator Zach Ducheneau says, quote, Our goal is to get producers into these disaster programs, and they are always encouraged to turn in an application if they believe they are eligible, end quote. You can contact your local Farm Service Agency office for more information. The 2018 spread of African swine fever to China had reverberations in the global pork market. According to new data from USDA's Economic Research Service, ASF caused an estimated loss of 27.9 million metric tons in China's pork output from late 2018 to early 2021 and led to a doubling of China's domestic pork prices. Now, the high prices attracted a surge of pork exports from four major suppliers, the European Union, the United States, Brazil, and Canada. While the EU was the top supplier, we saw U.S. pork exports were sizable and reached a record high of more than 287,000 metric tons in the second quarter of 2020. Now, official data indicates that China's pork production returned to its pre-ASF level in 2021, while exports to China are down from their peak. 
We see that China is still one of the top three overseas markets for U.S. pork, with sales in the first six months of 2023 exceeding annual totals posted in years before ASF hit China. All right, well, that is a look at news headlines here today on AOA. We are out of time on the program, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. On the next AOA, we'll talk with Andy Campbell from Tractor Zoom, along with John Sandbachen from the National Sunflower Association. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness.